This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, it is Easter Sunday for Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. It's Groundhog Day, though, for Valiant Pharmaceuticals shareholders. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast, of a packed studio here on Monday afternoon. Everyone here, I got Eric Holm on my right, Stephen Grosser. We are so crowded, Stephen Grosser can't even get in front of a microphone right now, but we'll get him on. We'll have him on. Maureen Farrell and Anuprita Das is here. So for, for certain of you out there over the weekend, this was, and I'm, I believe this is your copy, Eric, uh, this weekend was like Easter, Hanukkah, and Ben Graham's birthday all rolled into one. I was very proud was of that, that line. That was, yeah. that was yeah. a good line. I was very proud uh, of that. We are talking, of course, about the annual shareholder letter from Warren Buffett to shareholders of his company, Berkshire Hathaway, and the, the results, the, the earnings results for that company. You folks were all breaking this down over the weekend. Uh, I was I was enjoying the warm weather with, with my son and wife out in the park. It was very nice. Everybody was out. And... Uh, uh, Preeta, I want to start with you. What was your just give me your 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 one big takeaway of Warren's letter this year? Well, as I was tweeting the other day, this felt like a greatest hits version of Buffett's past letters in which he revisited old ground, touched on many of his these common themes that he has talked about in past years. Mm-hmm. But he also, what was most interesting to me was that this being election year, he actually addressed the, what he called a negative dr- uh, drumbeat of politicians, you know, talking about how poor a state the U.S. economy is and, and that, um, you know, he's always been bullish on the American economy. And this gave him a new opportunity to talk about um, just how great America is. Prosperity, productivity, both will increase. And he did some simple math and he laid it out and made his case once again. Did he get into uh, any of the candidates specifically? Is he backing somebody, do we know? Oh, no, he didn't. Um, he usually addresses these things very obliquely, but yeah. he is a registered Democrat, and he is backing Hillary Clinton in this election. He supported Obama in 2008 and 2012, so he's very much, he, he's, he's been a lifelong Democrat. But I think he um, um, he was reacting to both, I would say, Trump and Bernie Sanders and mm-hmm. the populist elements that have been uh, an emerging part of a lot of uh, presidential candidates' uh, campaign planks. That's kind of of going against the grain there. I mean, talk about Trump and and Bernie Sanders. They're getting all this attention because of their message that, you know, to to different degrees of eloquence, uh, that America is not quite living up to its potential. Exactly. And that's what Buffett was choosing to address and say, no, America always has. And he takes the long view. And for him, the long view is multiple generations. He was talking about John D. Rockefeller, and he was talking about how living standards have improved since he was born, which was in 1930, since Buffett was born, which Mm -hmm. was in 1930. So he really does take the very long-term view and not a one-year or five-year time span. And in fact, the exact line from him was, for 240 years, it's been a terrible mistake to bet against America, and now is no time to start. And he said something about um, children born today will live in a a world that's that's better and richer, ultimately, than, than the one that we are living in now. 
Right. And what's interesting, you know, I think he, um, you know, you probably were all, it's good to believe that because Berkshire has a very, um, they have diverse businesses and he really does have a pretty unrivaled view into the health of the U.S. economy because they do so many different things. You know, we always have fun talking about all the different things that Berkshire manufactures and uh, that gives him that kind of unique insight. And uh, Berkshire is also largely U.S. dependent. So I think he um, his interests are you know, he's he's not just making this up. This yeah. is actually, he has to believe it because Berkshire depends on it. Now, did, did we see any of that, <clears throat> excuse me, did we see any of that within the results of the, the various companies within Berkshire? I mean, how did the results look? Do those results make it look like, uh, you know, America's doing pretty great? Yeah, I think he has said that since 2009, since the end of the financial crisis, that Berkshire businesses have seen a pretty steady, not remarkable, but pretty steady recovery across all of its businesses, manufacturing, service, and retail operations. Um, Insurance was hurt last year. In fact, it was tied to the rebound in the economy because more people were driving, gas is cheap, that led to higher traffic accidents at Geico, so they paid out more in claims, so it hurt the results, but it was tied to the rebounding economy. The thing that is that we've been uh, looking closely at Berkshire for is its um, exposure and impact to oil, because I think oil represents both an opportunity and a problem for many of Berkshire's businesses. Um, Cheap oil helps as a lower input cost for manufacturers, but then um, shale gas fracking is... uh, at a standstill nearly, and BNSF Railway, which transports right. a lot of that, has been hurt by dropping volumes. Yeah, and I thought they they focused a fair amount on the railroad, right? I mean, that's that. I don't think there's any secret, but I mean, that's become one of their biggest businesses. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's their biggest non-insurance business. And, yeah. and, and if you take it, we were Preet and I were just talking about this, trying to run the numbers. The insurance business as as an aggregate uh, is is bigger by far, but that's really four separate companies. So. Um, Burlington's huge. It's it's essential, and as as Preeti was saying, um, it it also is one of Warren Buffett's sort of best reads of the economy, and also one of his biggest bets on the country. In fact, when he acquired it, I think it was oh, now I forget 2009, 10. He 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 called it um, an all in bet on the future of the United States or the American economy, something like that. So so yeah. So um, I forget the question. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the question? Uh, you know, just talks just a lot about the about, about, yeah, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it had pro- it had problems in um, twenty fourteen. Yeah, those were different problems. See, in twenty fourteen, right. the railroad um, they had a harsh winter, so track upgrades you know couldn't be done, so they were slower. And then um, um, farmers and regulators were complaining that BNSF wasn't moving their you know shipping their stuff on time because they were kind of um, privileging oil by rail. So, But that was 2014. So then in 2015, Burlington spent nearly $6 billion in capital expenses to upgrade its network to improve its operational performance. So that helped the results um, in 2015. But going into 2016 and 17, um, Buffett noted in the letter that he expects earnings and revenue to be lower because not just oil and shale gas, but also petroleum products and coal, <laughs> which is a big um, you know, so people are using more natural gas, yeah. so they're shipping less coal. You know, one thing that, that I noticed in here in, in looking at the live blog that you guys were doing over the weekend is he talked about their relationship with 3G, the investment mm-hmm. firm, and he defend, he talked about activist investors in general. Uh, why did he feel the need to address those topics, and, and what exactly did he say? Well, he's been dinged about 3G uh, 
in, in the past. So go ahead, Maureen. Yeah, what no, it's say? clearly the most controversial, one of the more controversial um, aspects. I mean, they and it, productivity was his sort of way into it to a certain extent. He talked about, um, you know, he, Berkshire, buys businesses that are really well run and are not bloated, mm-hmm. and they, he just lets them run as is. And he said 3G, by contrast, does a lot to increase productivity, and he sort of alluded to the fact that job cuts were part of it without right. explicitly saying that. Um, So it seemed a bit of a defense of his partnership and why they're part of his whole thesis of what makes America great, this Brazilian Mm -hmm. private equity firm that, you know, controversially moved Burger King to Canada. He walked around that, but it was it was a big defense. Yeah. Yeah, And I think uh, the most um, absolutely and the most important thing there for Buffett, too, I think he's had to defend this relationship because as Berkshire keeps getting bigger and bigger and his goal is to grow book value, you know, at a a rate exceeding the S&P 500 performance every year. And to do that, you have to make bigger and bigger acquisitions. Now, there are fewer and fewer companies that are well run at the right valuation that are also big enough to make a dent in Mm -hmm. Berkshire's book value in its earnings. And um, so he has to, he's had to look for partners. And he doesn't like, Berkshire doesn't like to interfere with managements. They, as as Maureen said, he avoids companies, uh, you know, that are all bloated. But, you know, there are fewer opportunities. So this way he gets to partner up with 3G, pay, get paid dividends, use Berkshire's huge cash pile, and um, not have to do any of the dirty work of cost-cutting himself. You know, if you're if you're interested in the whole story about activist investors, interesting. Look for tomorrow's podcast. Uh, we're gonna have Benoit in here. We're gonna interview an author, Jeff Graham. There's a book out called Dear Trim, and it's all about activist investors. So it's actually it's gonna be a very interesting podcast. I wanted to promote that one. Did he talk at all about the the eventual succession at Berkshire Hathaway or his health or any of those? Did he address that at all? Nope. He no. rare, rarely ever does. Yeah. Last year was silence. was the outlier in that uh, Vice Chairman Charlie Munger weighed in with a brief letter as well. It was the fiftieth year that the two of them, or that uh, that the two of them, well Warren Buffett anyway, had been running Berkshire, and um, uh, so Munger dropped a hint last year. Right. Uh, this year there was no mention of that, as you would expect. Hmm. All right. Uh, listen, let's leave it there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to, we're going to talk about uh, change topics, talk about Valiant. That stock is getting dinged. A lot going on at that company. Hi, this is Veronica Dagger. Catch me midweek every week on Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, Money Beat. Welcome back to the Money Beat podcast. Paul Vigna, Eric Holm, Maureen Farrell, and Stephen Grosser, whom we finally got in front of a microphone. Uh, we let Preeta go. She's got a lot to do. So we are back. We are talking now about Valiant Pharmaceuticals International. They were supposed to release their earnings. They were supposed to have a conference call. None of those things happened, though, Maureen, didn't, did they? And how late did the company cancel those? And 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 uh, you know that that's the whole thing, right? Uh, when, why? Give me the whole five W's. I mean, Maureen I mean, was setting this up her is, whole morning a... to live blog those, <laughs> right. that earnings call. I was She's ready. Excited. I was really was right. up. What time did you find out? Like, what time did they do this? I was having a nice dinner on Sunday night. It was around, I think, seven eight. They officially made the announcement. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it was, I mean, huge surprises all around. We haven't seen Mike or heard from Mike Pearson. He's been sick with pneumonia. He's been hospitalized. That's the CEO. The CEO since late December. Mm-hmm. And there were serious questions as to whether he was coming back. Exactly. I mean, he was in discussions with the board of his health was better, whether or not they would, um, his interim success, his interim CEO would take over, whether they would bring someone else in. So they made the announcement last night that he'd be coming back, but because he's been on medical leave, he can't sign off. You know, he needs time to look at the um, financials. And then they pulled guidance. We don't really know much more on why. There's been a ton of speculation out there today. Yeah, but. I mean, that is just... Well, because they, they didn't previously... know till Sunday. I mean, the right. timing is just so terrible. Yeah, when we were expecting an 8 a.m. call. Right. And some, and I mean, to be fair, we weren't going to learn everything on Monday morning because they had an accounting. They admitted they had an accounting issue and they were going to be restating 2014 and 2015 earnings. So they would be unaudited results, which completely spooked the market last week. But then Uh, it turned out that, I mean, that was really just a matter of them, uh, of the timing of booking certain revenue, right? Mostly, yeah. Mostly. One cent difference in EBS. And that seemed kind of innocuous, but this company is not dealing with innocuous issues. I mean, this company is dealing with a, a host of big issues. Well, that that thing is still open. That that accounting exactly. examination that right. they're doing is still open. Open, which I think is why people are reacting so strongly to the idea that um, that they they pulled their guidance. I mean, I think this this is really about investor trust to some degree right now, and whether <laughs> there's anything there or not. You know, inv- you can't you can't do this to investors and constantly expect them to to want to own your stock. Yeah, and that's why it's yeah down more than seventy percent since its high. Wow. But what's, what is, but what's what has been interesting though is the I think the analyst reaction to this unusual move. Like you know, every step of the way, the analyst yeah. reaction is like, well, maybe you should buy now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the ones that just completely threw me today was um, one analyst was praising them for their like great corporate governance because they gave the chairman post to a director. They, they from split Pearson. it. Yeah, yeah they yeah, gave yeah. it the, from the CEO. Said, "Oh, they've been also great for shareholders." Last night, by the way, yeah. 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 A lot well, announced last night. Yeah, it feels like they're giving breadcrumbs to <laughs> like the analysts, and they're like, "Wow, this is great." Yeah, there's stale, just a lot of stale praise. breadcrumbs. I mean, yeah, it was amazing, Marina. I was reading your story, and and you know. Paragraph after paragraph of what how how bad this all is, and then you you start you got in touch with some of those analysts, and they're like, oh yeah, it's great, oh it's okay, maybe now it's time to buy, maybe this is the bottom, blah blah. Uh, it, it's just shocking. And, and Sarah Krauss had a story from uh, quoting Sequoia Sequoia Funding, saying that their literal quote was, their credibility as investors had been damaged by buying Valiant stock because the stock has been such a dog. And they were supposed to be the ultimate value, right? Well, it was. It was. I mean, they had bet big on. Yeah, Valiant. they were big. And, and and they, you know, and 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 Valiant had a nice run. I mean, it. You know, it was the, the biggest company in Canada. I think when it hit its peak in August, it's one of the. You know, it had a huge market cap. This strategy seemed to be working, and then this fall. It, it completely, you know, fell yeah. under scrutiny from you know the government in terms of drug pricing and all that, and then and it just kept spiraling. It was one hit after another hit, and you know now you have a stock that's, I, I don't even know how much has it lost. Do you have any seven? It's down more than seventy percent from its August high. So that's and I less say, than we, six I, months. I, th- I don't think any of us really would feel comfortable saying like 
it's 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 not cheap or it is like it, this is an evaluation yeah. call at mm-hmm. this point. So when an analyst says buy, I don't actually know whether or not you know we're at the bottom, but it seems mm-hmm. so weird that they they every step of the way yeah they've been saying that the, 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 the no no one's no, none of the the analyst community largely seems largely seems unwilling to 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 question what's going on at the company well i mean this is the thing is they come out with a guidance they pull the guidance they right. they delay the call they they have this you know audit going on i mean at some point, the trust you have as an analyst to, to be able to do your job in this, right. you, you know, that's what I think is our question is why aren't they, like, pushing back on this company? Yeah, how could you do that, your job when you don't have got any guidance to work yeah, from? Yeah, like, the, 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 the company's not providing you with the numbers. And they had just affirmed their guidance in mid January. Yeah. So that I mean, it's yeah. just another question. What happened then? You you thought it was you thought you were okay. I mean, there there are huge questions of it what that means. Says, frankly, it probably all says a lot more about the analyst community than it does about Valiant. But uh, that's for another podcast. Uh, Marine, best guess when are they going to have uh, earnings, guidance, conference calls? I, wh- I, does anybody have any idea when they're going to? get all their their paperwork in order and they can come back to the public and talk? Uh, No, but the clock is really ticking and they're going to trigger certain things if they don't, um, certain issues with the NYSE, um, potentially trigger some debt covenants if they don't get Hmm. financials out by March 15th, I think is the date. So uh, they need to give investors something pretty soon, but I don't have any real updates on it. The Ides of March. Yeah. Exactly. So at least, you know, maybe two weeks is probably not maybe. a bad guess. But, I mean, the wow. the one thing you learn from watching Valiant is your best guess is, like, doesn't really tell you anything. <laughs> right. I think they just have consistently, like, done things that are shocking. I guess right. you just get used to being shocked no, by I mean, Valiant. If they're going to get, you know, the trust back, they have to do it in the next two weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. like, and they have to start... I mean, I think, you know, really reaching out to shareholders and all that. I mean, the, there has to be a real communication. And, and, and Bill Ackman, who's been their biggest, in many ways, cheerleader, I mean, he did bring that up. I mean, like the fact that they need to start being a lot more, um, you know, communicating a lot better than they have. He partially blamed their press team although, for it. Oh, he threw although, the press team under although, the bus? Yeah, this, this is oh, come this on. From a guy who holds three-hour-long, four-hour-long four presentations, hour long. which have no clear start, finish, middle, and that rambling. Yeah, rambles. Taking, I mean, he talked about the temperature in the room last time, and I think he also took a bathroom break <laughs> in the last time. In the so. middle of a presentation. Yeah. Because he was <laughs> I mean, going go on so on long. for hours. Well, hey, you, you gotta go. Stop. You gotta go. Speaking of gotta go, uh, uh, we are going to go. I want to let remind everyone tomorrow, don't forget, uh, Jeff, tomorrow, Tuesday, if you're listening somewhere that's not on the east coast of New York on Monday afternoon. Tuesday, Jeff Graham. The book is called Dear Chairman. We're going to have him in Friday. Jeff Rosenberg from BlackRock talking about the jobs report. You don't want to miss that one. And uh, Grocer, I did tell you about this one. We just booked this one today, folks. Mervyn King former chieftain of the Bank of England. We're going to have him in in March. He's got a book out, End of Alchemy. You might have seen the post he wrote over the weekend talking about the euro and basically calling it a failed experiment. So that is going to be a very interesting interview when we get him in. So look for uh, you know the, the Jeff Graham one to drop tomorrow, and we'll see you again on Friday without a doubt. Have a good day.